Oh, come on, let's celebrate these kiddos, huh? Oh, thanks for singing for us. Thank you for singing for us. You guys should take a bow. Come on, ready? Thank you very much. We love you guys. Look at that. <laughs> okay. Um, let's, let me say a prayer. Let's turn our attention to the Lord, okay? It's real hard to do because they were so cute, right? But the most important person, the most beautiful person at this entire meeting is the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's resurrected, seated on the throne, presiding over this meeting. Let's, let's turn the, the attention of our hearts to him right now. Heavenly Father, you have ordained that children would praise you. Lord, as we get older, we feel like we're not children anymore, and yet we are. All of us are your children. We are not nearly what we will be when your Holy Spirit is done with us. And so today, Heavenly Father, you have so much to teach us. You're a teaching God. I pray as we open up your word, that all the life and all the beauty, all the glory, all the truth, even some of the hard truth, some of that truth that we really need, I pray that it would come it would come leaping off of the page because you're speaking it to our hearts. Would you call out to us like you called out to Samuel? May we hear your voice right here in your word today. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Wow, that was, that was amazing. Um, now, in order to make room for all that amazingness, Obviously, you can see we're going to have a uh, we're going to have a shortened sermon, which is great because it just means I have to cut all the boring parts and get to the good stuff. Like why I came out with the fire extinguisher. I know you guys are all wondering that, right? Uh, when when my wife and I, Jenny, first got married, we lived in Minneapolis. I was finishing up Bible school, and so we lived in a little cheap apartment um, just a couple blocks from the school. And it was an afternoon, and it was my it was my turn. To, I was making lunch. And uh, I, you know, I married, um, I married into a Mexican family. My wife is uh, Mexican and she makes the most delicious Mexican food recipes handed down from her mom. And so she had showed me how to make deep fried burritos. In our family, it's one of our favorites. So, you know, we, we roll the bread up. The very last step in the process for deep fried burritos, you can guess it, it's in the name is what? Deep frying. So she showed me how to do it. You get a cast iron skillet and you fill it with oil and then you turn the heat up and then you let the oil heat up, right? And um, since the oil takes a long time to heat up and I, I, I'm a multitasker, I turned the heat on the oil and I left the room because I had some other things to do. Does everybody know where this story is going right now? <laughs> I came back into the kitchen and the pan was on fire. Now, it was a cheap apartment. We didn't have one of those little metal hoods above it. So it was like it was starting to melt the cabinets, melting the handle on the refrigerator. So me being a genius, I, I took the cast iron. We didn't have a fire extinguisher. I took the cast iron skillet out the back door. Our kitchen was right at the back door. And I set this burning hot pan of oil down on the wood deck that connects all of our apartments together. Now, you all know that the Lord saves us from the full consequences of all of our sin and stupidness, and he rescued me that day. That, that story could have turned out way worse than it did. Eventually, the, you know, the, the flame went down. I didn't even have a fire extinguisher. But you know, if I did, I don't know if you've recently looked at a fire extinguisher. If you look at a fire extinguisher to try to figure out how to work this thing, I don't know what this red thing is what this dial is right over here. So you look at the instructions. The instructions on this are written in like 0.2 font. In the middle of a deep fried burrito fire, I'm gonna like be, 
that's in French on one side, what good is that to anybody, right? Okay, because everybody knows that if you have a fire and you need to grab the fire extinguisher, when is the right time to read the instructions? Before you need it, right? Before you need it. Um, today we're going we're gonna to turn our attention back to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has told us that the Holy Spirit, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit has compelled him to go to Rome. He knows that God's will for his life is going one direction. He's going to Rome. Did you know that before he got on that ship and headed to Rome, before the trials and verdicts that sent him to Rome, before that happened, he penned a letter to the church in Rome before he headed there. And in that letter, because when Paul was writing, Scripture tells us that he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. It means the instructions that he wrote in the letter to Romans were instructions of what it means to obey God, to obey his sovereignty when the pressure's on. And for the Apostle Paul, he is in the fire, and he has been. If you've been with us, with us these last few weeks, first the Apostle Paul's ministry happened through his own initiative. He went out on missionary journeys and he was preaching the gospel. The very last part of the book of Acts, the way that his ministry moves from place to place is not by his own free movement. It's by, by being imprisoned. It's by trials and answering charges. And on one hand, that would be sad that he's in chains. On the other hand, because he's in these chains, he is speaking the truth of God's word in rooms more powerful than he or I could ever have imagined. He will eventually stand before Caesar, share the message, the life-changing truth of the message of the gospel. He will do it boldly right in front of Caesar and tradition tells us that he will lose his head over it. So today I wanna ask that you take out your copy of God's word. And we're going to turn to the book of Acts chapter 25. <clears throat> and we're going to pick up uh, right at verse 1. I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet. We stood to our feet to honor our kids singing. We certainly will stand to our feet to honor the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. One of the things that the word of God tells us is that every word of this is breathed out by God. And every word of it is useful. So, you know, let's, let's look to God's word here and see what he has to teach us and give us today. Acts chapter 25 verse 1. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. 
If then I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, to Caesar you've appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now our minds and our hearts would be open. I pray be more open than our Bibles. And that the truth that's here, the life and death truth that we live off of, Lord, may you, may you make it effective to us right now. We need you. Without you, apart from you, we can't do anything. Apart from you, we can't learn. Apart from you, I can't preach. Please bless this time in your word and do it for your glory and for your great fame. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, when we left off last week, I don't know if you noticed, but as I read through this, didn't this whole outline of events sound pretty much the same? The Jewish leaders accusing Paul, falsely accusing him in front of a Roman leader, the Apostle Paul answering the charges, and uh, two guys, both of their names started with the letter F, Felix and Festus. If I had twins, you know, I might... Felix and Festus, what great names. So now Felix, we learned about him uh, last week. He was a scoundrel of a Roman leader. Got into his position of power through nepotism. His brother was very close to the emperor. And all the time that he was the emperor, he typically did two things. He wanted to extort money. He wanted to use his political position to get rich. Um, and he was mostly interested in maintaining power by, by popularity. So he would set aside the right thing to do in order to make money and in order to maintain his power and popularity. And Felix, Felix did this with the Apostle Paul. He knew Paul wasn't guilty. He finished the trial. The Jewish leaders had not um, substantiated their charges. But Felix left the Apostle Paul under, under arrest, under house arrest, for two years. After two years, historians tell us that Felix basically lost control of that whole area. There was rioting and fighting, so much fighting that he got recalled back to answer to the emperor for his failure of leadership. But because his brother was friends to the emperor, he did not suffer the kind of consequences that he ought to, but he did get removed from his position. New leader comes into town, Festus. Festus is a more wise and noble leader. Within three days of his ship landing in the port town of Caesarea, where Herod's palace was, where he was living, he went up to the city of Jerusalem. See, he knew he was not stupid. He knew that his predecessors had had big-time problems with Jews, and those big-time problems had always had something to do with Jerusalem. He didn't know that Pontius Pilate totally lost control of the Jewish people. Pontius Pilate, the one that's in the Apostles' Creed, you know, the one who made Jesus Christ, the Son of God, suffer in Jerusalem, that Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate got recalled because of his poor leadership. So Festus knew that trying to navigate life uh, under his leadership, trying to navigate that with the Jewish people under his authority was going to be problematic. And he was wise. Within three days, he headed up to the capital city for the Jews, up to Jerusalem, and, and there the same thing happened again. Now, the high priest this time wasn't Ananias. It's two years later. It's a different high priest. His name would have been Ishmael. Different high priest. Same court, same Apostle Paul. Do you know what's the same exact thing? Is their hatred for the Apostle Paul. They hated him. 
And even though they would stand in front of the Roman court and accuse the Apostle Paul of breaking the law, right? You would think these people are definitely a people of the law. They follow the rules. And yet they're about ready to break one of the Ten Commandments and murder the Apostle Paul. Because the, the law courts are not giving them what they want. They're willing to set up an ambush and take Paul's life. Set aside the law, take the law into their own hands because of their venomous hatred of the Apostle Paul. And you know why. Jesus told them this was going to happen. When you're devoted to Jesus Christ, these religious leaders are going to treat the Apostle Paul like they treated Jesus Christ, like they treated the, apostle, or like they treated the rest of the apostles. So for two years, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Jerusalem. But we know, Scripture teaches, the Apostle Paul would write in the book of Ephesians that God, the sovereign God, works out every single thing in all of history for the accomplishment and for the purposes of his own will. There are only two ways to live in this world. One is to believe in God and that God is God over everything, all the way up, all the way down, all the way left, all the way right. That there is not ever one single thing that happens which is outside of his will. That way of living is called the truth. There's another way to live, it's to assume that there are things for which God is not God over. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so even though... Felix had his own selfish and greedy reasons for leaving the Apostle Paul in prison for those two years. God had his own purposes for those two years. Now, Paul would have been under house arrest during those two years while he's waiting for this trial with Festus. Do you remember who Paul's traveling companions were? One of his traveling companions came with him from Europe to Jerusalem. This was the Dr. Luke. Luke had become a Christian through Paul's missionary journeys. And so now Luke is with the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul is in prison, but Luke is not in prison. And most scholars look at this time period of two years where Luke would have been free to wander around the Holy Land as the time when the Apostle Paul sat down with all of the eyewitnesses that he describes when he opened up his gospel, all the people that he talked to. See, God had his own purposes in this. And, the, and Luke would have sat down with Mary, who else would have described the Christmas story with the level of detail that Luke had? He probably would have went and talked to James, Jesus' brother. He probably would have went and met with some of the people who watched Jesus ascend from the Mount of Olives. And so God has his own purposes that he's working out through these decisions. The sovereignty of God over every single thing that happens. On one hand, it is a hard truth to deal with. But on the other hand, it's such a comfort for that to be the rock right underneath our feet. Justin mentioned it when he was talking about this. When it comes to our children and when it comes to parenting, you know, all you moms that are out here, In the, in the book of Genesis, one of the great effects that happened because of the curse of sin, God proclaimed that, that women would have great pain in childbearing. And that pain is profound. If a woman cannot bear a child, that pain is very profound. It's painful. And not only is it physically painful to have children, mothers in a special way, don't you carry your children with you all through their lives? 
And when your children are doing well, isn't it so heartwarming? And when your children are struggling, isn't it, isn't it painful in a way that you know exactly what I'm talking about? You know, my own mom couldn't have children. And in God's sovereignty, she didn't have children and that drew her to adopt children. And one of those children that she adopted was me. She rescued me right out of an off, I mean, the most, an awful situation. And you know, I'm not the only one. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 16, the very last chapter, he sends out a bunch of greetings to friends and people that he loved. One of the last things that he says in, in that book that he wrote in Romans, he said, send my greetings to a guy named Rufus. Rufus would have been the son of Simon of Cyrene. This is the Simon that carried the, carried the cross. Paul said, send my greetings to Rufus and send my greetings to his mother who was also a mother to me. We don't know what happened to the Apostle Paul's parents. We know that his dad was a, a, um, a Roman citizen, but we don't know anything about his mom. And it's pretty likely that as Jewish as they were, you know, he grew up in a Pharisee's home. When he converted to Christianity, it's very likely the kind of hatred that the Jews had for Christ and for Paul, it's real possible that the same thing would have happened in the Apostle Paul's family. And yet the Lord provided a mother for him. This is one of the great things about Christianity. You know, if you're here today and you're like, you know, I don't have children. I lost a child. My child, my children aren't walking with the Lord. All those kids that were singing up here and all these kids that got dedicated up here, part of being in the church means that there is a way that the children of the church kind of belong to all of us. The Apostle Paul didn't have children and yet he had a son a son in the Lord. He looked at Timothy and the relationship between Timothy and his kid, or between Paul and Timothy was like a relationship of a son. There is a great gift that we have in the church to have these kind of relationships. So the apostle Paul is on trial in front of Festus. Festus offers a suggestion that he could appease the Jewish leaders by taking Paul up to Jerusalem and saying, why don't we take the trial to Jerusalem? We'll take the trial there. I'll still preside over it. And the apostle Paul was, boy, he was one decision away. The ambush was waiting for him on the way there. And if the apostle Paul would have agreed to that, um, we wouldn't have the book of Ephesians. We wouldn't have the book of Colossians or Philippians, 1st or 2nd Timothy or Titus. The Apostle Paul is standing there in that court, and it's the Apostle Paul who would write in Romans 13, he would write this letter and say, all governing authorities, all authority that's over the top of us is placed there by God. He teaches the Christian doctrine of authority that all of us have the responsibility to look at the authorities that are over us and understand there is an authority above those authorities, and that authority is God. And the way that we respond to authority is like we were, we're responding to God, because we are. And now he's standing in this court and he has the Jewish religious leaders, the chief priest, making accusations against him. And the Apostle Paul says, those accusations are not true. And he has the uh, Roman governor suggesting him that we move the trial. And yet what he says to Festus is, I'm standing in front of Caesar. This is exactly where this trial should happen. And he appeals to Caesar. Because see, in spite of the fact that God is sovereign over all things... And along with the fact that God rules things according to his will and governs them partly through human authority. The Apostle Paul doesn't just um, check his brain out and say, okay, well, whatever the leader, the leading people are telling me to do, that's what I'm going to do. 
Because the Apostle Paul, for both in the Jewish nation and, uh, <clears throat> and in Roman law, he knew the law. He read the manual. He knew the instructions. He knew exactly where authority was placed. When he sat there and he looked at the chief priest who was making these accusations, he knew that according to God's word, the authority that was over both the chief priest and the apostle Paul was the law. Therefore, the apostle Paul could say, no, those charges aren't true. There's a law above you, chief priest, and that's the law that we're both under. And he also did the same thing in Rome. He did the same thing with Festus because Rome was a constitutional republic. That meant that there was a law that was over both Festus and the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul knew that law and he appealed to it at just the right time. See, in spite of the fact that God's sovereign will is working out in and through everything, what Christians do is we don't just let ourselves be carried down the river. We look into God's word and we understand how, what his laws are, what his precepts are, what his principles are. And we, we move and follow and obey them from our hearts. And I want you to think about this, when the Apostle Paul appealed to Caesar, do you know who the Caesar was at the time when he appealed to him? Nero. Why did the Apostle Paul appeal to Caesar? Because he was looking forward to a vacation in Rome? No. He knew suffering was going to come. He appealed to Caesar because the Holy Spirit was compelling him that the gospel message was going to get into the capital city of the most powerful empire in the world. And I want you to think about this. In the book of Acts, we started this journey in Acts chapter 1 when there's hundreds of Christians. And as we get here to chapter 25 and then over to 26 and 27 and 28, what we're going to see is that the gospel message is going to have explosive power and there's hundreds of thousands and millions of Christians in almost no time at all. And do you know why that is? Because the Holy Spirit is on the move in the book of Acts and the Apostle Paul's deepest commitment is to preach Christ every opportunity that he can. And he preached it to Felix, remember that? And Felix was terrified. He preaches it to Festus. He's going to share his testimony that he met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And Festus is going to look at him and say, you are out of your mind, Paul. You are talking to dead people. And the apostle Paul would appeal and go to Caesar. And within just a hundred years, 200 years, 300 years, the whole Roman Empire would be turned upside down by Christianity. Because one guy, Paul, put his faith and trust in the Lord, understood how to deal with the authorities that were over him, completely trusted the sovereignty of God, and followed what the Spirit was compelling him to do. Now, how about you? Do you believe in the sovereignty of God over everything that happens? Are you understanding and submitted to everything that God commands you in his word is what we must do? But the thing that we have to be obedient the most about is what to do about Jesus Christ. Scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. The most important thing to obey God about in the Bible is to come to Christ in repentance and faith. You know, the, 
of the most striking illustrations of this principle that even though the people in the, in the Bible had their own motivations for why they were doing everything, over the top of that, God has his own secret will that he's working out is the cross. Didn't the Jewish leaders bring accusations against Jesus Christ? And didn't they do it because they hated him? And then didn't that go to Pontius Pilate? Didn't Pontius Pilate totally miscarry justice? and sentenced Jesus Christ to die even though he knew that he was innocent. And Pontius Pilate did it because he was a coward. And the religious leaders did it because they were filled with the venom of the devil. That, the, both of those were their motivations. And yet, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we can be the righteousness of God. We can trust Christ. Place your trust in Christ. I don't know what's going on in your life today. But let the sovereignty of God be the rock on which you stand. And let the cross of Jesus Christ demonstrate to you what happens when you place your trust in him. Would you stand to your feet? Let me close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. It's what we need. I thank you for your great power, your great sovereignty over all things. Lord, I'm delighted. It delights me that you work out your will through your own agents in your own sovereign way, the authorities that you place over us. I'm thankful that you give your spirit to Christians and so we can look in our own consciences and our own spirits and obey your guidance there. Most of all, I'm thankful for Christ. I'm thankful that the intentions that other people had were the means that you used of opening up a whole new way of coming to you, the holy God, not in my own righteousness or in what I have done, but in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for me. God, strengthen my faith, bolster my faith, and do it for everybody that's here. Lord, you know. You know the circumstances of our life that when we look at them, we, we have our doubts. Is God really in this? Is God really working this out for his will? And I pray that every time we have that doubt, we would think about and look at the cross. Nothing worse than that has ever happened in human history. And nothing more glorious has ever happened in human history. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.